0: So we're in this series in Mark's Gospel, and uh, we've been going for a few weeks now. And one of the things that happens when you're in a series in a Gospel, remember there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and each one of them give an account of the life and the ministry of Jesus heading towards his death and his uh, burial resurrection as kind of the climax and the focus of the story. But what happens is when you're going through them, uh, it's easy to kind of go, oh, this is familiar. I've heard this before, and even if you've maybe never been to church in your life, I suspect you might have heard the story we're going to look at today. It's a very familiar one, but even so, the other thing that can happen when we're in a series, when we take a little bit more time and and think and ponder and allow the gospel to impact us, one of the things that happens is that our view of Jesus just grows. Even if we've been reading the Gospels for years and we, we know the stories and it's all very familiar, it's possible that as we're reading it, that, that kind of the, the personality, the character, the person of Christ just gets bigger and bigger than maybe he has been before. And that's a good thing. That's what we want to happen. So today we're in Mark chapter 4. It's on page 839, I think, in your Bibles. And we're going to look at the story right at the end of the chapter. Just a few verses long, and uh, if you grew up going to Sunday school, then I guarantee you've heard it before. But even, like I said, if you're not kind of uh, used to being in church, this is probably a story you've heard a reference to at some point. So let's look at these last few verses. I'll read it, and then we'll talk about the story, and we'll try to make sense of what's going on and what does it mean for us. So Mark 4, verse 35... It's a simple story, right? Just a few verses long. It seems fairly straightforward. If you think uh, about it, you just kind of work your way down line by line. You go, yeah, I can can track with what's going on there. Here's Jesus, and he's been teaching all day long. In fact, everything that we've uh, skipped at the start of Mark 4 is Jesus teaching that day. So he's had this big day of teaching, and you get to the end of the day, kind of evening time, and he says to his disciples, let's go across to the other side other side of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is is not a big sea, it's really a lake. But it's it's about 9 miles across and 13 miles top to bottom, so it's substantial enough. And so this group of fishermen and friends, with Jesus in the boat, head off. Notice we're given a, a detail that there were other boats. That's important because... If, uh, if you've got expert fishermen sailing their boat, if there were any indications, if there was any hint, if they checked their phones and they knew that there was such a, a storm coming, there's no way they would take the risk. And you might look at it and think, well, those guys maybe were distracted because they were with Jesus. Maybe they knew they were heading into trouble. But there were other boats. The other boats weren't distracted. The other boats tell us that this was a normal evening on the Sea of Galilee. No indication whatsoever of what was going to happen. And so they headed off uh, across the Sea of Galilee, and they were sailing uh, for I don't know how long. Not a huge boat. It, it was, we don't think, you know, North Sea fishing trawler. It's kind of a small wooden thing that you could fit 15 uh, or so people in it quite happily, but it's not, you know, a luxury liner. So they're, they're heading across the Sea of Galilee, and the next detail we're told is that this crazy storm came. Now that does happen. You've got uh, all sorts of kind of hills and mountains around and if the wind comes down from the north, from uh, Mount Hermon kind of dropping down, it can create an incredibly frenzied storm on the Sea of Galilee. I think this was worse than that. This wasn't the kind of storm that they'd weathered many times before. This was the kind of storm that made professional fishermen panic. They were absolutely uh, freaked out by what they were seeing and what they were experiencing. The waves were crashing over the boat. The boat was filling. And when the boat is filling, there's kind of one end to the story, right? Even if we're not experienced at sea, we know a boat filling is generally not a positive thing. And so they're frantically trying to bail the water out of the boat, pulling on the ropes, doing whatever they're doing, trying to keep this boat afloat. And then we're told that Jesus was asleep in the stern of the boat. Now, I'm not going to get into details about how you sleep through a thing like that. My only real experience was in Kyrgyzstan a few years ago. I was there when the revolution happened, and I slept through a night of war happening all around the building. My roommate was astonished at my ability to sleep. I don't know how I did that. It was just kind of, you know, the banging was sort of a a gentle noise in my dreams. So maybe Jesus is just a particularly good sleeper. I don't know, but he's asleep on a cushion, and what we do know is that they came to him and said, teacher, don't you care? Don't you care if we're perishing? And then there's that moment. This is one of those stories where I don't really want to be there. I've been at sea enough to know that it is quite scary at times. And I don't particularly want to be in a small wooden boat that's filling with water just to see this moment. But maybe maybe in heaven I'll watch the DVD and get to see it. Because this little bit I would love to see. Jesus stood up and he rebuked the wind and the waves. The word there is the same word that it uses in other places when Jesus deals with a demon. This isn't just kind of a a, a sort of stop it instruction. This is a, a rebuke to something personal, maybe something evil. He's rebuking this attack from the weather. And instantly it goes still. This isn't one of those kind of stories that you can explain just as as being a little bit hyped up, but actually quite normal. I had an RE teacher that had an ability to make any story in the Bible become completely unmiraculous. Uh, Just give him five minutes, and the whole class was believing him instead of the Bible. It was an amazing skill he had. And, And his version of this would have been probably 20 or 30 minutes of calming weather, and gradually things improved. Problem is... If that's what it's saying, then the response of the disciples surely would have been, what a relief to have Jesus with us during the storm and then with us as it faded. They would have talked about his care, his kindness. They would have thought about how, you know, he's such a good leader. When we were panicked, Jesus wasn't. Oh, what a bless. Isn't he great? But instead, their response is fear of Jesus. You wouldn't be afraid of Jesus if he, if he woke up and said, it's going to be okay, boys. And then gradually the storm kind of passed. Well, why would you be afraid of him? But no, what, what happened was Jesus stood up and Jesus commanded and instantly the wind and the sea obeyed. That, that did something to them. They were astonished at that. So it's a simple story. I mean, it's it's not the kind of thing you experience every day, but it's a relatively straightforward story to understand. So what's the point of the story? Well, I suppose it's possible that we could look at that and say, well, it's clear. If Jesus is with you, then storms don't matter. Right? That's kind of a simple, easy explanation. The storms that we encounter in life don't matter. They don't hurt, they're going to stop, nothing to worry about. But before we get carried away with that as an application or as an kind of implication, let's just evaluate that. And we can evaluate it either biblically or by experience. Either way, the reality is that's not true, is it? Just because Jesus is with you doesn't mean that storms stop. Just because Jesus is with you doesn't mean that storms don't hurt. What if you're uh, in life heading into a really tough season and, and the marriage is, is on the rocks and everything is, is getting turned upside down. Can we simply say, it's okay, Jesus is here, everything's going to be okay. Well, we all know that it doesn't always work out the way we wish it would. How many people do we know who love Jesus and trusted Jesus and prayed to Jesus and got the diagnosis of cancer and then cancer killed them? The realities of experience don't match up with a simplistic kind of storms don't matter application, do they? Jesus told his disciples, in this world you will have trouble. He doesn't promise us smooth sailing. He doesn't tell us that everything's going to be okay if only we can wake him up at the right moments. No, Jesus says life is going to be tough. And and relational breakdowns are going to hurt. And cancer might kill. And all the other things could happen. Uh, There's no guarantee of kind of a comfortable, easy, smooth life for us. Uh, Because if that's the kind of way we start thinking about it, Jesus starts to become the genie in the bottle. And the whole thing starts to become about our comfort. Maybe the story's not about storms or comfort. Maybe the story's actually about Jesus. Maybe what they experienced that day is written down for us in our Bibles so that we can encounter Jesus just like they did. If we do, I think we're going to see there are three things that are really worth noticing about Jesus here. I'm just going to walk you through these three things, and then we're going to draw out a couple of so what's, a couple of implications. So the three things that we need to see about Jesus here. First of all, the obvious thing, his power. It's important to see and to recognize and to remember just how immense the power of Jesus is. His power is awesome. He's able with a word to stop the most fierce storm. That is astonishing and we can sort of treat it as a Sunday school story and yeah, Jesus has power. But in the midst of life when things are hitting hard, it's important to remember that he does have the power. I love the, uh, the way one commentator described this, just in terms of when Jesus stood up and rebuked the wind and the waves, that he put it this way, he said, The wind and the waves combine in a, let me see if I can get this, in a sublime symphony of solemn silence. In that moment, when Jesus spoke to them, it wasn't a gradual declining. It was an instant, a sublime symphony of solemn silence as everything just went glassy flat. And and the disciples were looking and they were blown away by the power. Jesus wasn't there wrestling with the boat. He wasn't there hanging on to it, you know, hoping that this will soon pass, trying to give them hope. No, when Jesus spoke, the storm stopped. And all through Mark's gospel, we keep seeing that. When Jesus speaks, the demons are dealt with. When Jesus speaks, the disease is gone. When Jesus acts, his authority is instant. It's overpowering. It is absolutely astonishing. And that is the Jesus that we're singing about and we're praying to and we're living with and we're living for. He's the one with awesome power. So even though there's no guarantee that every storm we sail into is going to become, you know, just smooth and and nice and easy, there's no guarantee of comfort in this life. It is still comforting to know that the one who is with us has the power to take care of anything that we might ever face. His power is astonishingly awesome. At the same time, there's another side to that. When we think about his power, we also need to recognize his love, or in this case, his protection. Because it's all very well having all the power in the universe, but you've also got to be motivated to use it. Notice their response in this situation. As we look at the story, their response at the end of the story is they were filled with great fear and said, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? But go back up to 38. Their response to the storm is, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? That's quite the question, isn't it? As soon as the circumstances start to swirl, their assumption is Jesus doesn't care. Actually, that I do that. Maybe you do it too. When, when everything's smooth sailing, no problem. Jesus is, you know, smiling and I'm smiling and all is well. But when something goes wrong, he obviously doesn't care how quick we are to, to blame his character. And maybe some of us go, well, he does care, but he doesn't have the power. But others, others of us say, well, he, he clearly has the power, but he doesn't care. These disciples needed to learn that he had the power and he did care. He was willing and ready and able to protect. And so there's the power of Jesus and there's the loving protection of Jesus. But there's one more thing and this to me is really important because this kind of opens up this story even more. And that is that in this event, the disciples are learning something much bigger than just what happens when you're in a storm. The start of the passage says, on that day, verse 35, which day? Well, that day, that that day when Jesus had been teaching them. And so if we were to read the whole of chapter 4, which we won't, we would see that Jesus has been teaching a whole load of stories, parables, four of them in fact. He, he teaches them about the, the sower. Maybe you remember it. It's one of his famous ones where the, the sower sows, and the, the, depending where the seed lands, it kind of responds in different ways. And, and I suppose there's a message in there that, you know, it's going to be discouraging. There's going to be quite a number of people that hear the message, but no response or a shallow response. But for those who do respond, those who do uh, kind of come to life spiritually, it's going to be fruitful, it's going to be impressive. After that, he warns them, be careful how you hear. Don't take my teaching lightly. Don't, don't just sit there and go, yeah, whatever. Because it, it says in, in this chapter, in this section, it, depending on how you hear will affect how you live. It's going to affect what happens to you. If, if you hear my teaching, but you don't hear it well, even what you have will be taken away. For those who hear and are eager and are leaning into it, it's going to be added to more and more. And he keeps going with more teaching. He talks about uh, the kingdom of God in verse 26. He talks about a, uh, it's like a man scattering seed on the ground. It's, it's kind of a funny story, really. We, we've done the Mark drama a couple of times, and both times we've used a farmer to be the farmer, right? You may have noticed that if you were there. And, and I always think, I wonder if Jesus, with his fishermen in the, in, in the boat, I wonder if, if that kind of teaching about farming, there must be some competition between fishermen and farmers, Right? If you think about it, fishermen go to sea every day or every night. They work super hard every single day or every single night. Then they've got to clean their nets every single time. And then they sell their fish. I mean, it's instant reward, but it's a whole load of work. I'm sure the fishermen would look at a farmer. And I don't mean dairy farmers, because they do work hard, don't they? Bless them. Get up early and actually do something. But I think the farmers who sow seeds, they might get a bit of a chuckle from the fishermen. What do they do? sow seed and three months later they've got a harvest that's a nice job you imagine can't you a group of men kind of bantering back and forth here's jesus with another arable farming story and and here's jesus saying look you sow the seed and the farmer can do anything he likes that's right jesus he gets three months off but the seed grows and jesus wasn't kind of comparing farming and fishing he was talking about the seed and he's saying look the seed grows he can go off and do whatever he wants he can go read a book he can go put his feet up he can take a holiday to the like the sites of the old testament holy land tour or whatever i mean he's got all sorts of options but that seed is growing the disciples would have been sat there going yeah that's true interesting that and he says, think about a mustard seed. Just this tiniest little seed that you can possibly imagine. When that thing gets planted in the ground, it just seems so vulnerable, so weak. I mean, what's going to happen to it, right? I mean, what chance does it have? But it grows. And it grows and it grows. And it becomes this kind of huge bush. And birds come and put, you know, put their nests in it. And, and animals take shade under it. He says, that's what the kingdom of God is like. It might, might start like this. But it's going to do a big thing and all of this teaching has been going on all day and we're told at the end of all that in verse 33 with many such parables he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it he did not speak to them without a parable but privately to his own disciples he explained everything on that day when the evening came he said come on guys let's let's go and in the boat, they headed off. I don't know how long they were into their journey before the whole storm hit. I, I imagine it would have taken them a while to get into the sea, you know. But I don't know. Maybe Jesus fell asleep as, you know, just like that, like some of us can. But, but maybe Jesus explained things to them first. Hey, guys, did you understand those last couple of parables? No, no Jesus, we liked what you were saying about the farmers. You're right. They don't do anything. What was your point again? Okay, guys. No one else is here. Let me explain everything. The kingdom of God is like a seed and it grows. Okay, so do you get that? Yeah, we get that. So so the kingdom of God is going to keep growing. Yeah, that's right. And it's going to have a harvest. That's right. And what needs to happen? We don't know. That's right. God's going to do it, right? Okay, Jesus, that's fine. But why did you do the mustard seed story? I don't know how much of this he explained, but he might have explained everything. The mustard seed, it's the tiniest little thing. It looks so vulnerable, guys, but it grows and it completes the purpose for which it was made. And that's what the kingdom of God's like. And hey, hey, boys, listen, what's the kingdom of God? I suppose that's us, Jesus. That's right. Well done, John. Okay, And they could have had this whole conversation about how the kingdom of God is like this little seed that seems so vulnerable, but it's going to grow and it's going to accomplish its purpose. Anyway, it's been been a long day, lads. Do you mind if I just close my eyes? And Jesus goes to sleep, and the storm comes, and they forget everything. Because the little seed, the little boat, the little kingdom of God that is wrapped up in that little bit of wood that's floating on the sea suddenly feels incredibly vulnerable, and they're all convinced, we're going down, it's all over, it's finished. But that's what Jesus had been teaching them all day. Was that God's plan is going to be worked out. And I think that's really important. Because otherwise we can start to think that any storm is going to be resolved by Jesus' power and protection. But actually what the story is really about is God's plan. And once we start to see that God's plan for the kingdom of God to grow and develop and establish. Once we see that then we can start to see the implications of this story. Let me give you just two, two ways in which the the power and the protection and the plan of Jesus can stir a response in us. First of all, it may stir a response of encouragement. Let me explain what I mean. We're not in a boat and we're not in a storm. But we are part of the plan of God. And just like those fishermen and tax collector and zealot and all the crowd, just like they, uh, the crowd of disciples, just like they were with Jesus. And at that point, they were incredibly vulnerable. And at that moment, fear gripped them. And they thought, they were convinced, we're going down. In the same way, fear can sometimes grip us, can't it? It's a different storm. We don't tend to think weather is going to wipe out the church. But sometimes we can look in one direction and we see technological advance. And there's just all this technological stuff happening. Just the rate of change. Smartphones are over 10 years old now, can you believe it? And it's just this incredible kind of frenzy of social media and fake news. And everything's different than it was just a decade ago. And sometimes we can look at that and we can think, oh my goodness, this this is actually quite an intimidating reality to live in and then you turn the other direction and you see what's on the, the media what's on uh, the, you know on the TV and on the internet all the kind of political correctness it's gone mad hasn't it things that 10 20 30 years ago society in general would have frowned about and been a little bit concerned and just kind of you know kept it a little bit under control now that stuff isn't just allowed it's promoted In fact, it's expected. And if you stand up and say, I don't believe that's right, you're treated like you're the threat to society. Our society really does feel like it's gone mad. And that just kind of ties together with technology. With, you know, like if one person down the road has an opinion, they can get that opinion to go viral if they can, you know, present it in the right way. No, no control on that anymore. And so you've got political correctness and you've got fake news and you've got all of that stuff just swirling and growing. And it, it, sometimes it's a bit overwhelming, isn't it? And then you look over your shoulder and you start looking at the ideologies of our society. Think about religions. Religions that are on the march. One in particular, Islam. And we can look at that, and we can look at the numbers, and we can look at the advance of Islam, and in some ways it feels like an army that is just marching and taking over Europe, doesn't it? I mean, look at the numbers in Germany and Denmark and France, and you just think, my goodness. And and it just, as much as the media keep telling us that it's all peaceful, peaceful, we, with our own eyes, we can see that it isn't all peaceful, peaceful. There's a march that's going and we can look at that and we can feel the kind of ground shaking at times and think, well, we don't stand a chance. And then there's other ideologies and spiritualities and different kind of ways of thinking about things. And uh, and it's not just the organized religion, it's the disorganized things, the kind of unorganized things, the the spiritualities that are being promoted and the evil that's being celebrated. And we're looking one way at political correctness, then we look at this religion, then we look at social media, then we look at at other ideas and it, it can feel like an incredible storm. And all it takes is Richard Dawkins to write a book, and the BBC goes wild, and he gets all the airtime imaginable. And it seems like everywhere you turn, everything's against the church. And you wouldn't be unusual if sometimes you start to fear and start to feel like we're not going to make it, we're going to get wiped out. I mean, the pressure that's against us is not just in other countries. It's growing here. And what if persecution comes? And you you can easily start to look around and be filled with fear. And this story in Mark 4 is an incredible encouragement. Because that's how the disciples felt. Sat in a boat, anticipating not only their own deaths, but the demise of the kingdom of God. And then Jesus stilled the storm and said... Hey guys, why why are you afraid? Why have you got no faith? Why aren't you trusting me? I've been telling you all day this seed is going to grow into a big tree. And you're acting like this seed's going to disappear and drown. You can't blame them. If we'd been there, we'd have been screaming with the best of them. But it's important to learn that lesson, isn't it? And to get the encouragement that... Your life may go through some incredibly tough seasons, but the church, the body of Christ, the plan of God being worked out in this world, despite all the opposition and all the oppression and all the forces of evil that are coming against it, the church, the plan of God is not going down. We know the end of the story. We know we're on the winning side. We know that what Jesus has begun, Jesus will finish. So when you're watching the news, when you're reading the newspaper, when you're uh, getting into a bit of a swirl in, in social media, when Brexit is creating panic in your heart, or whatever it might be, switch off is a definite option. Or just remember that Jesus said, why are you afraid? He can calm the storm, he can build his church, he can complete his plan, he can finish the story, he's got all the authority there is. Which means we don't need to be afraid. So there's encouragement here. That's one response. And if you go away from this story saying, you know what? Actually, I hadn't even realized how scared I was until Peter got going. Then, But, but then I realized, and, and now I'm encouraged to, to recognize, no, we know the end of the story. That's right. Let's keep on going. Let's keep standing for Jesus. Let's keep, uh, you know, let's keep speaking for him. Let's, let's keep pressuring the, the MP. Let's keep doing whatever it is we're supposed to do in this time to try to make a difference. To preach the love of God and the wonder of who Jesus is. Because it's worth it. No matter how many people may stand against us. No matter what the cost, it's worth it. That's one response. But there's another one here. And I just want to mention this as we finish. Because I I think if we were on that boat with those disciples, I mean, quite a journey, right? Start off with Jesus explaining his parables. Then he goes to sleep. Everything's fine. Then there's a storm. Then we're all going to die. Then Jesus stands up, stops the storm. Oh, my goodness. And then we get to the other side of the lake. I wonder if as they stepped out of the boat... Having experienced the stilling of the storm, I wonder if maybe there was a storm stirred up inside of them. Seems to be, doesn't it? When, when they get to the end, they were filled with great fear. That's when the storm's gone. They were filled with great fear. Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They were in the presence of astonishingly high authority, And it stirred them up. It churned them up on the inside. And the storm on the Sea of Galilee may have only lasted for minutes. But the storm he created within them may have gone on for years. And maybe you're finding that same thing. That as you get close to Jesus. And as you start to think about who he is. And as you read his words. Maybe it kind of unsettles you. That would be understandable. To be in the presence of the authority of Christ is to be unsettled strange on the one hand we're encouraged and we're calmed and we're assured and on the other hand it can be quite unsettling it's a bit like Aslan in Narnia you remember all the Narnia stories whenever Aslan's on the move there's this kind of uh, like it's good but it's scary is he, is he safe? Of course he's not safe, but he is good. And there's this kind of two-sided churning. There's no way that you can carry on acting as if everything's normal when you meet Aslan. Even in the film, I remember being in the cinema, just the uh, hairs on the back of my neck, just whoa. You know, that's when Aslan was on screen. That's what it's like to get close to Jesus. And some of us maybe have lost sight of that. Maybe we've kind of settled for a controllable Jesus, or a comfortable Jesus, or a nice Jesus, or a stilling your personal storms Jesus. But the disciples encountered the real Jesus. And the real Jesus has an authority that churns up a storm within those who are his. Let me explain it this way, if I can. We don't like authority, right? Just at general human observation. Humans don't like authority, there's something in us that kind of goes, oh, don't you tell me what to do, right? There's, there's something in us that kind of doesn't enjoy it when someone's in charge of us, you know, it's so easy to gripe about the boss or the police or the spouse, you choose which way that goes. There's, there's all sorts of ways in which we don't like the teacher and we don't like this and we don't like that and let's not even mention the prime minister and there's all sorts of authorities that we don't like. That's a normal human response. Do we like having somebody over us? Do we like having somebody that we're accountable to? Somebody that can tell us or tell a storm what to do? Of course we don't like that. So what do we do with that? Do we like Jesus' authority? No. What if he wants me to change? What if he wants to change me? What if he wants to do something with my life that I don't want to do? Okay, well put it the other way around Do you want to live life without his authority well no because that's terrifying to be without jesus is mean it means like to have no life no hope no future i mean that's terrifying okay so you've got two options either that this kind of scary reality where jesus is in charge or the scary reality where jesus isn't in charge either way it's not comfortable is it and in our flesh we just kind of want comfort We just want things to go in a way that we can go, yeah, 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 it's okay, I've got it, I'm in control. No, no, Jesus has got it and he's in control. And he has authority and that should feel unsettling for us. But what if, what if Jesus' authority is kind of played out in your life and he wants you to do something different than what you're doing? What if you read the Bible and you start to kind of get this sense that God is, is directing your path to do something you just don't want to do? Maybe a, a different career path than you expected. What if you've got it all laid out? I had it all laid out. Business, uh, school, and then, you know, bank manager, and uh, wife, and children, and Labrador. I had my whole life laid out, and then God kind of messed with that. And it's kind of scary. What if God's got a different plan for your life than you have for yourself? What if Jesus has a different plan for your relational life than you have for yourself? What if you're convinced that the right thing is to get married, but... What if he wants you to stay single? Or what if you're in a relationship and Jesus wants you to not be in that relationship because it's not right, it's not healthy, it's not good, and you're not married. So, you know, what if? Or what if Jesus wants you to stay in a situation that's difficult? You're in a marriage and you kind of regret it and you kind of wish that, you know, you could take any exit and God's word says, no, you stay where you are. And you don't want that. What if you're heading into your older years, whatever stage that happens, let's call it the 40s. All right, so let's say you're you're heading into your older years, and what if Jesus has a plan for your older years that isn't kind of what you anticipate? And you've done all the live for Jesus stuff in your 20s and in your 30s, and now in your 40s plus, you kind of feel like, well, I want to do things my way, and what if he's got a plan for your life? That's uncomfortable, isn't it? It's uncomfortable to think of jesus being the authority well let me put it the other way would you rather he says never mind and walks away please no did you see the storm that that jesus creates simply by being the one with authority he can still any storm but in doing so he may create a greater storm within us and so on the one hand where it can be incredibly encouraged that, hey, look, you know, the, the church is not going to fail. A church may, you know, die off, but the church, the bride of Christ, it's, it's going to do what it is. To, Jesus is going to build his church. The message is going to spread. People are going to get saved. And it, it, it's, it's an amazing story. And it's not going to fail. And we can be incredibly encouraged by that. But at the same time, if we're sat there in that boat and we see that authority Ooh, we can't just carry on as if life is normal. And he may still one storm and churn up another. So where does that leave us? Where does that leave you? Just a few verses at the end of Mark 4. And we can look at it and we can kind of say, oh, look at this. The power of Jesus and the protection of Jesus. And, oh, praise the Lord, the plan of Jesus. And we can kind of have it all out there at arm's length. But... But what about what that does to us personally? Does that leave you encouraged? Does that leave you comforted? Does that leave you thankful that the things that had stirred up fear in your heart actually aren't reasons to be afraid ultimately because we know the one that's in charge? Praise God for that. If the effect of this story is encouragement, then please be encouraged. Or maybe you look at this and you go, oh my goodness, that authority... That unsettles me. And you might be tempted to run from that. But let me encourage you. The right response to that unsettling is to run straight towards him. Just evaluate. Do I want Jesus in charge or not? Of course I do. Lord, here I am. I'm yours. Whatever that means. However that plays out. Whatever you want me to do. I'm yours. I'm scared, but I'm yours. That's a good response. So let me pray for us as we finish. We've not been in that boat. We've not experienced that authority in that way. But let's pray that we experience it appropriately in our lives, in our circumstances, in the situations that we face.